Hi, and welcome to Season 2 of Big Sound Small Town, the podcast that spotlights the talented and diverse musicians in small towns and communities. This season, we're branching out to include the community of people who make it possible for musicians to be able to perform their music, the producers, the recording engineers, the venue owners, and many others, and as always, the small town musicians. Remember, small town doesn't mean small talent. Hear their stories. Today, Big Sound Small Town is in the Earl Scruggs Center in Shelby, North Carolina, and my guest is a multi-instrumentalist, music show producer, historical music venue owner, and DJ, Mr. Steve Leatherwood. Welcome to the show, Steve. <laughs> Thanks, Sandy. It's good to be here. I was scared this morning when I opened up my mandolin case and I only had one in there, but this is, uh, I don't play this much, but we'll see if it sounds right. Let me give you a little, little something here. It is kind of early in the morning. Yeah. I don't get to play this one too off much. It's got that radius fingerboard on it, and uh, it, it plays just a little different to my well, you know, uh, old Washburn F-hole flat top kind of hard stop thing. Musicians get used to what they are. They play on a regular basis, so. Well, you do. Yeah, that one's a little bit interesting, but but it uh, it works. It's a good. It plugs in, so I carry it around with me. But yeah, that was kind of strange. Open up my case and see an empty hole. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, it was good to be with you, though, and, and uh, we've been trying to get together, and I, yeah. I appreciate what you're doing. Well, thank you. Um, golly gee, man, there's a whole lot of ways to go with you. You want to start from the music, your, your personal music standpoint? Well, yeah, uh, let, let me do that, and I'll sort of take you through okay. how I got to here. Yeah. Uh, well, I was born at a very early age. Uh, but uh, actually, kind of, kind of true. Is uh, when I was three or four or five years old, um, I, I liked to play on my granny's piano. She had a big old upright piano in her house. And uh, one of the odd things, and after I talked to you, and I was, I was trying to think back about my history, there wasn't anybody hardly in my family that played music except for my dad. Okay. And. Uh, then, uh, but when I was six years old, my dad had a, a heart operation and it was not successful and he died when I was six. And that was, I was heading into first grade. But after that, really, there was nobody in my family that played music, which was kind of odd, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of times people have a banjo. Yeah. yeah, they have a banjo put in their hand as they, you know, in the hospital being born or something. Mm -hmm. But, um, they they didn't uh, in my case. My dad did play um, uh, guitar and banjo, uh, guitar and mandolin and fiddle, and I still had his instruments. And right. as a kid, I played around on them and and did some things. And and they they eventually let me play my granny's big old upright grand piano, you know. Uh, yeah. But I had to do 
careful and not bang on it, oh, yeah. you know. So I learned to play with one or two fingers, you know, not and not hurt. Not that. the not the Julie Lee Lewis. Not yeah, yeah, not hurt that piano, and it probably weighed five times or no, fifteen times oh, what I did, yeah. you know, at that point. I was six years old, seven years old. But um after my dad died, um I did have some really interesting early experiences with some music and one of them was a guy named um, Bill Haney who lived in my mom's uh, garage apartment. And um, Bill Haney, that probably doesn't ring a bell to you exactly from up around Haywood County, but uh, does, does it to you maybe a little bit, but uh, he lived in mom's apartment and his cousin was Don Reno. And so uh, Don would come over to my mom and apartment and Bill and uh, and I was seven eight years old I'd go up and sit in the yard with Don Reno and yeah. and Bill Haney uh, and Bill would play guitar and they'd pick and carry on on the warm summer nights and I'd just sit up there and soak it in you know That's pretty much good stuff to soak well in. it was good stuff and Bill called it rockabilly back in those days it was 1955 long in that area and I remember the day that Bill was so excited that he uh, he got a recording done, um, a 45 RPM record. He run one down to the house and said, man, look, I got it in my hand, I got it done. And it was Please My Love was the A side and the B side was uh, You Don't Care About Me. <laughs> kind of country, rockabilly, kind of old songs. And, uh, but I, I, got, I didn't have any clue who Don Reno was. But my mom's best friend uh, was uh, 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 Miss Reno. I, I forget her real name, her first name, but uh, they worked together. And so we knew all the Renos, and, and so Don was there. It was kind of a cool thing looking back at yeah, it. Yeah, that one, really. And uh, Bill went on to, uh, to form a band called the Zazoff Boys, and they played in Columbia and Myrtle Beach and places like that. And, and uh, Bill went off to Vietnam kind of back in those areas, uh, in those, those days. And uh, do we, we need we need to. Well, I'm back here with Steve Leatherwood. We just had a visit from uh, Mary Beth Martin, who is the executive director of the Earl Scrugg Center. She dropped in to meet Steve, and uh, we enjoyed the conversation with her. And we're picking it <laughs> right back up. Yeah, good to meet with her. And yeah, uh, always, always, I like good interruptions. That was a good interruption. Was a good yes, so not, not a problem for me, but I think we were, we were sort of talking about Bill Haney and, and uh, Don Reno and that, that I kind of grew up around them. I didn't know who they were, but uh, I was up there in Haywood County and, and uh, uh, gosh, you know, Hump Hammer and, yeah. and uh, uh, the band, man, my banjo man, uh, well, <laughs> name just went out of my, of my brain, but uh, he was uh, up in Maggie Valley there. Randall Hill. Ran, uh, well, Randall Hill was around, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll think of it there in just a minute. But um, we, uh, there was some music around, but I was so little and so young, I, I didn't get uh, involved in it too much. Uh, but I, I like to listen to it, and Bill came down with that recording, and I was all tickled about that. Ultimately, he came out with a recording with the Zazoff Boys, and, which I have a copy of. It's on vinyl. But, um, but as I told you to start out with, um, Raymond Fairchild is who's thinking about Raymond Fairchild picking banjo up in the, in the Maggie Valley. So I was right there at Maggie Valley and Clyde and everything. Um, but I was uh, telling you earlier about picking on my uh, Granny's piano, 
and they didn't want me to mess it up or hurt that big old thing, you know, like I was going to. And so they, they told me to kind of be careful with it. But eventually, my mom said, uh, well, you know, it looks like you got music in you or something somewhere, because I was playing the piano and everything when I was five or six years old, seven. She, in the, when I was in third grade, I guess I was probably about seven or eight years old at that point, uh, signed me up for music le- piano lessons. And that was back in the days when, uh, in, the, in the later 50s there, school was not such a complicated thing as it is now. Yeah. And uh, so we had a, a lady, a, a private individual, who came f- from town <laughs> to the school. And she had a little office back in the stage, had a piano back there, and she would give private school, private music lessons, piano lessons, to anybody that wanted to hire her, contract with her, or whatever you want to call it, to teach them to play music. And so they'd let us out of class for 30 minutes. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, you know, and, and so... There's uh, my, a bunch of my friends and I uh, would take 30-minute piano lessons, and whatever time of the day you'd go, and right. then you'd make up your work or whatever. Or they'd just let it go or something. Yeah. But I uh, learned to play uh, from Miss Bonner was her name, and she uh, taught me piano and chords and all that kind of stuff. Kind of enjoyed doing that for up till about the seventh grade. Um, and uh, I, I started. My mom got me an accordion and. I was playing the organ at the church and playing piano. The unfortunate thing about taking piano lessons is that when it gets around and the piano player's not at church, then they say, hey, Leatherwood, he's, he's taking piano lessons, get him. You know, and in those days it was shaped notes and five flats and all that <clears throat> good stuff. That's really cool stuff. Actually. Really, It was really cool music. But I got so I would kind of... Uh, hold off to go into Sunday school just in case the piano person wasn't there because I'd get jumped on to play five notes and, you know, five flats and all of them shaped notes and things without any practice. And, uh, but it was, it was fun. I enjoyed doing it and played a lot at home after I come in from school and played the piano and do my stuff. And, uh, like I said, a little accordion and some things like that. And I loved to play on the church organ. Uh, and uh, never did play officially, just got to kind of play around with it. But um, in seventh grade, I wanted to join the band. I, I told you earlier, our school was really small. First grade was on the bottom floor there on one corner, and high school was upstairs on the other end. <laughs> uh, so it was all in one big building. And there was probably about 40 or 45 of us started out in first grade, and we graduated 38. Oh, wow, but, but when you got to having a band, a high school band, uh, in order to have enough people to march and play the instruments, right. you had to drop into seventh and eighth grade oh, yeah, for the high school. Right. So uh, seventh grade, you could join the high school band, and I was hot to do that, you know, because I really wanted to wanted to play saxophone. And uh, talked to the music school, uh, music the band teacher, uh, Ms. Israel, and she said, "Well, I know you read music, and I know I know you know about music." And she said, "I know you want to play saxophone, but I need a trombone player." And I said, well, trombone. And uh, at that point, see, I wanted to be the next um, uh, yakety sax oh, kind yeah. of Boots Randolph. B- Boots Randolph. <laughs> you know, that was the big thing right there. So I wanted to be Boots Randolph. But, uh, you know, she said, well, if you, if you come out to my house on a couple of days a week during the summer, I'll teach you how to play the trombone. And you can start in the fall at the high school wow. band. So there's one trombone, one baritone, and one sousaphone. You know, we had a little bass, basically. 
but there's only about 35 or 40 people in the band, you know. So, so I played in the band, the high school band, from seventh grade on up through the twelfth grade, and, and so did my girlfriend uh, Dottie that I eventually married. She played. Did you play trombone the whole time? Yeah, played trombone the whole time, and uh, for seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, on up through there, uh, what was it six years, I guess. And God said I really liked the bass cliff. I, it was it was kind of good. And, and like I said, Dottie was involved. She played clarinet, so that meant we got to see each other every day, you know, at band. She was a couple years younger than me, but uh, we'd get to go on band trips and play at the ball games, things like that. So that was a good thing, too. And I liked playing in the band besides that. Um, but once I, uh, once I graduated from high school, um, started going to college, I, I started building cars and some things like that. And, and uh, got involved in, in doing that and kind of got, there, there still weren't very many musical people in my family. Um, my grandmother had the piano, my, my aunt Frances had a piano, but I can't ever remember anybody playing it but me. So, so when you went off to college, then you went off with nothing musical going for you? Not, not really anything going on musical. I, I um, you know, had uh, my dad's old F-hole uh, guitar, he had an F-hole Broman. Uh, model Model A or something, yeah. and uh, then he had a mandolin and a fiddle, and that's what he played uh, when he was at church. He'd play along with the, the guys at church, and uh, and so I I got to hear just a little bit of that before it, he was gone. Uh, but I had his instruments around, so I I kept playing around with him. But got out of college, and and uh, <laughs> about the only thing we were playing much was the radio and eight track tapes, you know, back then, and. Uh, as soon as uh, as soon as I graduated from college, uh, Dottie and I uh, moved down to Morganton. I got a I got a job down in Morganton right out of college, and and uh, got to go in the music store down there. Kind of got my, one of my neighbors played guitar, uh, Joe, and we'd get together and pick a little bit. I had my dad's still F.O. guitar that I was pl playing, banging around, and I went to the music store and was checking out guitars. And I eyeballed this. Uh, uh, 12 string. And this, of course, this was John Denver time. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, John Denver and Chris Christopherson yeah. and all the guys. And uh, they were playing these uh, these 12 strings. And man, it's 12 string. You know, yeah. it just caught my eye, you know. And I wanted to sound like, now I wanted to be John Denver. You know, I was ready yeah. to be John Denver. And uh, so I, I kept going back to visit this thing. Uh, and uh, one day it was gone. I thought, oh boy, somebody bought my guitar. Well, as it turns out, Dottie had put laid it away. Oh, that's <laughs> She found out about it. I liked it, and she'd uh, laid it away for me. And um, I got it for Christmas that year as a Christmas present. And uh, probably about one of the best things ever happened to me. It's my first real guitar, <laughs> you know. And it was uh, it was Do you just still have it. Yes, yes, still have it. Um, uh, it's an aria. Uh, Aria 12 string, and it, it's an awesome guitar. I've never really loosened the strings on it, and it's straight as an arrow. It's just a, it's an awesome instrument. I played it some this week, and uh, she came in and said, "I thought I heard that 12 string again," <laughs> and I, I was playing on it a little bit this week, and and uh, got it out of the case, and I hadn't had it out of the case in a year or two years, something still in tune, and I, I hadn't detuned it, which I should have done. I apologize, but it was just. You know, just fine. Twelve strings pulling on that neck. Of course, yeah, it's got yeah. a, it's got a truss rod. Right. You know, <laughs> but I beam, I beam truss rod. Twelve strings pulling. On. 
But anyway, I enjoyed uh, enjoyed getting back into playing it. But um, eventually, uh, I learned some chords on the guitar from my neighbor and never did really take any lessons or anything. I just kind of picked around with it and played. And then in about 1974, uh, we moved to Shelby. And then that's where I started really running into people like Vern Berry. Yeah. He was a neighbor right down the street. And Dr. Bobby Jones and, and uh, just a number of, uh, of folks. So I, I made sort of a list. I tried to remember, you know, John Reed. You've, yeah. you've already, you know, interviewed John. Sure. And met folks here at the music store. Just a lot of people that were picking and playing and doing music. And so Dean Jinks and Horace Scruggs and... They'd all come over and gather up at our house on the weekends, and we'd pick, yeah. and just pick and play. And I, I was, I was still having my twelve string at that point, which was not a bluegrass <laughs> instrument. <laughs> no, no, no. And but I, I would play a little bit along, and and uh, eventually realized I was going to have to get one, and so, uh, six string. So it wasn't too long till over here at Apple Tree Music. Sure, you might remember Apple Tree, yeah. uh, Apple yeah. Tree Music. Uh, I ended up buying a, 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 a inexpensive sort of little uh, Dayon, yeah. uh, D-A-I-O-N, I guess, Dayon guitar. But it, it was a great sounding little six-string guitar. And so now I was kind of in where I could really play bluegrass, you know, six-string. And uh, never was really in, in too many, uh, you know, serious bands. We had a couple groups that got together a lot and played around. I'd play with anybody that let me play, yeah, though, you know. And eventually hooked up with Dan X. Padgett, you know. I do know. Hard to miss Dan and, of course, J. Max McKee and, oh, my gosh, just people everywhere. But, I, you know, they, they were just crawling out of the woodworks. Uh, and uh, uh, so I, I, I met up with Dan, and Dan said, well, here, I wanted to learn bass because I knew bass clef. I right. played yeah, trombone. Exactly. Yeah. So I said, well, I like, you know, it seems like there's always a lot of guitar players. I want to play something different bass or mandolin or something right. fiddle and he said well come on over and I'll show you some stuff on the bass and he did and so did a guy named Doug Rogers yeah I know Doug too who played with Acoustic Syndicate yes, at that did. point Doug taught me a couple little tricks on on uh, cordon especially bluegrass uh, right. bass playing and I appreciate that from Doug he he kind of got me started I don't know whether he even knew that or not but he was a big help and so was Dan and then uh, Dan showed me a little bit on the fiddle and the mandolin and some things like that and kind of grew along with that. Dan and can do anything. He can do anything. And he's always been my go-to man. And <laughs> I ended up playing some with Dan here and there up at Pea Ridge now where the big horse thing is. We used to go to Pea Ridge up there when there wasn't anything right. except clear land. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pea Ridge Community Center, we'd go in there and play. And <laughs> yeah. Dan was playing the lap steel. steel at that. Yeah. I mean, not lap, but pedal steel. Pedal steel. Yeah at that point, and he had kind of a country band. And I was up there one, one night playing a little mandolin, and they wanted to hear, um, uh, they wanted to dance, a little two-step, and the song they wanted to hear was, if you're gonna play in Dix, in Texas, yeah. you gotta have a fiddle and a band. Well, I had my fiddle with me, so luckily, that's one song I could play <laughs> with a fiddle. You know, sometimes you play it, sometimes it plays you. But we must have played that song for 15 minutes while they did the two-step. I was war slam out. But uh, it's not a real hard song to play. No, I used to play it. Yeah. Not a real hard song to play. But uh, I, they just were tickled to death, and everybody was happy and having a great time. And, and uh, so, But I've played several different spots with Dan here and there playing bass. And, and a guy named Charlie Sechrist, too, 
uh, who was up in Rutherford County, a good friend of ours. And we played, uh, we had a little little group that got together, me and Dan and Charlie, and uh, we had a fiddle player, another guitar player. And we, we even played over at my, uh, the middle school where I was working in Cleveland County Schools. So, you know, kind of things went along in there. Um, and gradually, uh, Dr. Bobby uh, and, and some other folks got, got to kind of got up in my ear. My, my son had uh, opened up a comic book shop uh, his last year in high school, I guess was 87, something like that, and uh, 88. Uh, he had opened up a little comic book shop over here on Lafayette Street, and it kind of outgrew its space in about six months. And we, he said, we're going to have to have more room. And the uh, Hudson store for men was, was uh, available, was being sold. And so we just bought the building. And, and uh, he was making enough money to buy, buy the building, put himself through college, sure. selling comic books. Yeah, and well, it was, I mean, it's a cool story. And uh, we, we had a lot of fun. We had a game room in there and, and all this stuff and sold instruments and sold music right. and stuff. But the back half of the building, about 4,500 square feet, we had front was 4,500 square feet, comic book. Back end, we had empty. And Dr. Bobby and, and uh, Vern and a couple people uh, said, well, you know, why don't we just get together over here on the weekends, kind of pick a little bit and have, you know, see what we can do and have a thing. And so uh, gradually we ended up with um, three bands. <laughs> Dr. Bobby Jones's band at that time was New River. And uh, uh, Dean Davis was playing bass with him, and, and of course Dean Jinks was playing banjo, and Horace Gruggs and was playing with him, and, and then he was playing mandolin. And uh, uh, gosh, I don't know whether I, whether I left anybody out of that group or not. It was called the New River Band. Uh, Wayne Parrish. Wayne Parrish, that's who it was. Yeah, Wayne Parrish was playing with him. Yeah. And over the years, they, they switched around a few, right. few people, yeah. um, uh, you know, became. Uh, Flint Hill eventually with, with Burgess and that's one of the two or three versions of that band. Ray Allison was in on that yeah, too. Ray, Ray, Ray was in on that too and uh, then Burgess became one of their lead singers and stuff. But Dr. Bobby and, and uh, like I said uh, Vern and then um, well let's see uh, Mabin uh, Jay Mabin Jay Mabin, yeah. Jay Mabin. Um, they were real interested in us doing this uh, venue to have music, and so thought, well, okay, let's let's give it a shot. So Dr. Bobby had his band. Uh, Darren Aldridge was getting out of high school. I think he just graduated, and he had a little band called uh, the the Straight and Narrow Band, and a lot of the same pickers, you know, Dean and, and Harold Simpson, some of the Ronnie Sang was in there, and then Vern Berry had a group, and uh, they had. Uh, uh, the thing called uh, Rough and Rocky. Yeah. So between those three bands, we rotated about every three weeks, and right. we had a little band on stage, and we'd have more people on stage than would in the in the, in the oh, room yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know. But gradually, it began to catch on, and after a while, uh, and for the next uh, twelve years, actually, from about 1995 to uh, 2007. We uh, we had music there every Saturday night. Oh, yeah. uh, we we started out on Friday nights with some groups, uh, trying to figure out if we'd do country and jazz and and other things. But right. what we figured out was that people didn't know what was coming up, and so they just didn't come for anything. Right. So you so you decided. To yeah, stick with we just one. picked with one thing, right. and 
uh, J. Max McKee was having his shows on Saturday night, and we tried to do Friday nights and realized that football games would take care of that. And then Max started going on the road a little bit more, and so we, we kind of started doing Saturday night. He'd have a show occasionally, but um, he wasn't there all the time, and that was fun. And sometimes Max would be up here with us playing. So we, uh, we started doing the Saturday night shows, and we did them for 12 years, about 50 shows a year. Right. And uh, that was a lot of shows. That's a lot of shows. A lot of shows. shows and and uh, we hardly ever had more than uh, a band more than one time a year. Had that many bands you could put in. Oh, goodness. We had bands just coming from everywhere. Uh, Dr. Bobby's band, people, uh, he, he was in demand, and right. they, we had to have him about three times a year. And the Dollar Brothers from up at uh, Boone, North Carolina, uh, we'd have them about three times a year. Um, but most everybody else kind of got one or maybe two shows a, a year, and That's that was about part. it, because yeah. it was it was such a diverse bunch, and some people didn't get but a show every two years. Right. Yeah. Uh, we had some groups out of Charlotte, Southern Junction, and, and uh, Southern Express, and then we had bands from as far away as uh, Czech and Slavic Republic, uh, Fragment, right. with Yana uh, Mojin now, who's married to Steve Mojin, but she was here with her group, and she was the only English-speaking person in the band, and uh, we uh, we enjoyed them just uh, immensely. But they sang in English, they, right? They sang uh, perfect English, bluegrass. I don't know whether they knew what the words meant or they just memorized them, <laughs> but they did not speak a word of English. Really, really nice people, though, and uh, I've maintained some contact to Facebook with them over um, in uh, Czechoslovakia and, and uh, Czech and Slavic republics. Now. But it was really fun. And uh, we ended up making um, recordings of the bands um, for several reasons. One was uh, Jay and John Reed and then Noel Manning and Jeff Powell kind of colluded, saying, hey, you know, this is pretty good. You know, we need to maybe uh, have a, a show. And they, they came up with the name Live at Leatherwoods because it was live and we recorded it. And um, so we started... Uh, Recording the shows and then producing uh, 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 once a week live at Leatherwoods right. on WGWG radio, and we also played on 1390 Classic Country with uh, Joe and Joe, the Joe, Joe and Joe show. Joe, yeah, Joe Green and, and oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 Joe Martin Green and yeah. and then Joe Hinesley, yeah. uh, and they they would play our shows, uh, and and we had on uh, uh, Garden uh, Gaston County radio that played it as well, and. So we were shipping shows around all over, but um, had a lot of fun with that. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, got all those those shows recorded and put up on the air and, and really had, had a good time with them. Just a side note, I, I, this year you kind of talked me into maybe thinking about it, but I'm, I'm <clears throat> doing a little podcast trying to re, uh, recreate or reproduce or replay or whatever some of those early shows from 25 years ago sure, and doing that through Garden Web WGWG.org and that's where I'm currently DJ and that sort of thing. Um, so it just kind of developed from there. I guess I, uh, I got my mandolin on my 50th birthday. Right. Dottie, Dottie thought I needed a mandolin and, and I'd had a fiddle that I got off the internet for $40. I think it already had a, had a snake rattle in it yeah. and it sounded cool. pretty good. Yeah. And, uh, several basses that I played around because I got to play. Right. Uh, it was kind of fun. Sometimes bands would show up without a bass player or 
somebody would be sick and I'd get to stand in. Sure, and that's great. and that, that worked for me. But um, that's kind of where I'm at now, and I'm, I'm sort of back into the DJing business. My, my oldest son and I did a lot of uh, DJing around in the area for schools and stuff. But then my youngest son, Jeremy, was on the radio with me, right. a radio show with Gardner Webb, and we did a lot of those uh, good good shows. So, How many shows did you tell me you have recorded? Well, uh, somewhere around 600, six or wow. 700, but 600, and most of those are two-hour shows. <laughs> you, you realize that is the uh, bluegrass history of Cleveland County for the most part. Well, uh, some of it's Cleveland since County. The, since <clears throat> the 80s or... Yeah, some of it's Cleveland County. Uh, but a lot of it, I mean, we had bands coming in from Florida and South Carolina and Tennessee and Oklahoma and Texas and Virginia. And I mean, uh, we've just got a, an incredible amount of bands coming through and we did track by track on some of them and, and let them do their CDs on. Sure. So we had some great times with them. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting piece of stuff. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> And most a of them were bluegrass history there for sure. Well, a lot of them was recorded, uh, you know, like people like Lou Reed in Carolina. They right. weren't local, but they sure. came in, and, yeah. and Steve uh, uh, Dilling, yeah. third time out, they came in, and we had uh, had those folks around, and uh, Lonesome Highway, Blue Highway, and you know, you you could almost name a band. People seemed to Lost and Found was one of our favorite yeah. groups. Okay. They would get here about once or twice a year, and Alan Mills, and and uh, we made recordings for a lot of those guys. But anyway, that's kind of where I'm at, and I don't know is anything I, I, you need to know about me. I, I guess the main thing was me learning to play the piano when I was three <laughs> or four or five years old. This has been... Steve, this is an incredible story. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think we could probably talk all day with the number of people who have come through musically. Uh, that you've been involved with, and it was a wonderful venue that you had here for, uh, how many years did you run that? Uh, well, uh, Jeff opened the comic book shop in, in 88, and we started playing music there in, uh, I guess, 95. Acoustic Syndicate was one of our uh, early bands. Right. Uh, they came over, and they were still playing a lot of real straight-up bluegrass. Dr. Bobby and his group, and Vern and their group, and, and Darren Aldridge and right. his group. That was the early time, and then we went on through 2007. So that was about about 12 uh, about, about 12, 12 years. about 12 years. Uh, it was the best uh, hidden secret in Uptown Shelby. You know, it, it turned <laughs> out there's there's several things that have I've been doing this for a good while now, and this is a big. You've been a big part of uh, the Cleveland County music history, and part of turning the, the town has actually turned itself into a uh, music community is it is, it is one of the highlights of the town now it's one of the things the town has gotten behind and promotes and mm -hmm. you have a big part of that i mean, I mean you kind of started that in motion well I, you know to I, come to town because at that time town the city wasn't in the revitalization quite like it is now mm -hmm. you know so that that put a big part of it that was a big part well of it. it was kind of interesting what you're saying <clears throat> we uh, we were here in Shelby, but usually less than about 20 or 25 percent of the people who came to the show were actually from right, Shelby exactly. or Cleveland County. But it brought people to People come from Charlotte and Rutherford and Morganton and South Carolina to hear these bands. Sure. And so it was bringing people in. Uh, 
And a lot of times local people say, well, what's that big bus parked out oh, there yeah, behind yeah. your building? Sure. There? What, what mean, is you're that? Right, though. It was a, it, it was kind of a um, well-kept secret. It was, it was kind of a well-kept secret, and, and not a lot of people understood it, I think. I, I think you're right. <laughs> in, those, in those particular days, yeah. um, there wasn't a lot of live music around. Yeah. And uh, but it's beginning to take off, and I'm glad to see it. I, I just I love good music, love live music, love playing it, love hearing it. There's a lot here of it. now, but but doing when you were doing it, at speaking from a musician standpoint, yeah. I had to go out of town to play. Yeah, I mean, most everyone did, and like you said, if you were, if you were lucky, you could play there once a year. <laughs> you know? and, and it was in yeah. my case, I, I probably got to play there three or four times in the in the twelve years. Yeah, so yeah. so. You know, yeah, I remember. So, we had Mama said yeah, I still got to record. Yeah. I ran across oh, yeah. it the other day. Well, you know, it's it's kind of it's it it was the early venue that you could play music in in Cleveland County. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, you were pushed either way out of on the outer ends of the county to have to go to say uh, La Ponderosa or Bracket uh, yeah. Cedar Park. But in town, there was no place yeah. to play. Yeah, it was it was it was a, it was only spotted, and we had a lot of bands that that said, "Hey, you know, uh, we don't care whether you pay us or not. We just yeah. like to come back to right. play because the sound was so good." Sounds good. And not sure why that was actually, but uh, some combination of two foot brick walls and and punched in, I mean, sculptured tin ceilings and a solid oak floor uh, made it sound good. I, I, I don't tell know. You that, that, uh, yeah, those walls. Those walls are probably full of some of the best music around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to admit we. Home. I mean, we had uh, James Randolph was yeah. there, fiddle player. I mean, we we uh, we just had tons of people who. Curtis Birch from New Grass Revival was there. Larry Keel, Jenny yeah. Keel, and yeah. Billy Constable, and all those yeah. folks. I mean, we. Uh, Which is modern bluegrass history too. Yeah. And uh, you know uh, Michael Jonathan from Old Time Radio. Right. That's cool. Uh, I mean, if if we went, it, it would take us thirty minutes to go through and just name the bands didn't and the people. Didn't you say how many bands when you started naming? Didn't you say how, we ran out at about twelve hundred? I, I think we eventually named because a lot of them played were one timers. Right. So in in twelve years, you know, you got one show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and, oh, yeah uh, and, and but that's that is. I mean, that's just huge. Though. Yeah, we had some great gospel groups. The Hatley family yeah. out of Charlotte. Just some awesome music, um, and so uh, we just uh, we we loved it. We met a lot of good people. Uh, lost a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's the music business. Like starved to death. It's good thing we had a uh, real job. Real jobs. Uh, the only way you pay the bills. But but uh, you know some of the bands just seemed to be happy to come and play, they and are. and it was really interesting to see that happen. Because sometimes they'd get about enough for gas money. Sure, it's about all we got, and you know, uh, it was it was just a really interesting dynamic. But uh, we we had a lot of fun. It's been fun talking with you about. It. I love Appreciate thinking it. about it, and sometimes could we'll, it happen again? Uh, what's that? Talking again? No. Well, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that. Talk. You're welcome to come talk anytime. Well, yeah. Sometime maybe we can talk. I, I don't know. Uh, we started to uh, go again at it up in our. Store and shelf in in Boston, but uh, Darren played there a little bit. Dr. Bobby played there, and the neighbors from up in uh, Morganton played, and and uh, we had a bunch, several groups play there, but uh, never never could quite, you know, get a regular group. Time like that, I guess. I mean, it was a great run. Yeah, it was a great run. It was a great time to do it. 
uh, it was right around the old brother where art there right. moved. Yeah. So that gave us a lot of impetus, I think, sure. to to go with it. And people were looking for that music. Yeah, they were. And uh, so now you can download it off the internet. Again. <laughs> well, that's right that you can. But it, no, I don't. I don't think we would do it again. But uh, I'd love to in a way. Yeah. Well, it's also we've we've. Um, there's no kind of way to say it, but we've gotten a lot older during this time, which does make it. That takes a lot of energy to do to do a show like that. It, it was a big effort. It took all day Saturday, you know, to, sure. to get ready for it, and then on into the wee hours of Sunday morning, cleaning up and straightening up and getting sweeping up all the popcorn and, and spilled drinks and coffee yeah. and stuff. We never, you know, one of the things that I think the bands did like was we did never served alcohol. You did. We had coffee and soft drinks and hot popcorn and, right. and candy bars, but but a lot of them said, you know, we don't like playing at bars so much. We love coming right. here. People come here to see, hear hear our music. Well, it was a listening room. I mean, I it was a listening that. room. It was set up as a it listening was the, room. It was one of the earliest and maybe the only real listening room that that has ever been here. Yeah. And few places. I mean, a listening room where people come and actually listen to what's being played. Yeah. Those are few and far between in America. Yeah. So I mean that was one yeah. Of we had a couple parts. big old couches around the sure back, did, and yeah. we had some comfortable areas, and we had rows of seats. But the people came there to hear the music. They, did. they, they didn't did come to come, eat. No. They didn't come to drink. They didn't come to hang out, and they came to listen to listen the music, to music, which is a beautiful thing. It, it really was, and and the bands appreciated yeah, that. Yeah, the bands really I mean, appreciated that. I mean, aside from having a cup of coffee or a soft drink and some popcorn, that was it, yeah. pretty much. And people, people, bands. And musicians particularly like the fact that uh, there's two things they like: either people come and dance to their music depending yeah. on the venue, or come and listen. After that, I mean, you can get them to do almost anything to, to have either of those. Yeah. Now <laughs> you go other places and you know no one's listening. It's all about the money. Yeah, it's just not much fun. No. I played in bands where you know people were eating and doing things, and you were just sort of background music and. You know, it's just not much fun. When people are there and into it, that's the best part of it. It was interesting too. One one of the bands we were doing a recording for them, and uh, they they thought they didn't like the way they did it with the crowd there. So they said, after the crowd leaves, we want to redo it. They replayed the song three times and and relooked at it, and we decided yeah. to go with a live recording because it sounded better in front of the live audience sure. than it did without. And I, I think that's the way it was. People were just there, and they were listening, tuned in, mm -hmm. hollering out songs they wanted to hear. Yeah, that's great. And uh, it, it was it was amazing. It was really a fun thing to be a part of, and it just uh, it just sort of happened. Well, Fell out of the air. I'll tell you what, you've been one of the most entertaining <laughs> guests I've had. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Uh, oh. Maybe we'll do this again, a, a second round. Get time. get me started. I'm I'm troublemaker. Well, I do I do appreciate you taking time. I know you're a very busy person, and I appreciate you coming and doing this. So glad to. I'm so glad that you're doing this. It's awesome stuff. Thank you. And um, I'd love to meet with you again, buy you lunch or something, and and just talk. Sounds good. <laughs> Anytime, Steve. Thank you.